0: Today's our sermon's going to be on first John, and that's going to be first John chapter one, verse one to four. So let's get into it. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it and testify to it. We proclaim to you the eternal life. Which was with the father and has appeared to us we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you may have had have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the father and with the son jesus christ we write this to make our joy complete let's pray father god just thank you so much for bringing us here again lord i just pray that we would truly know you who you are lord jesus that will truly understand who you are who you came to us as and lord we'll be able to come and fellowship and join in relationship with each other here under you and know you so so well so father god i just pray that you would uh, bless this time and lord bless anything that i'm going to say and let anything that's not of you fall to the wayside in this time in jesus name we pray amen Okay, so today I'm going to be starting a new series with you guys. So it's going to be a little more regular than it has been. Um, so it's probably roughly going to be once a month that I'm going to be up here doing this, which is super exciting for me. And you guys get an early mark every now and then, so it's good for you, I guess. And in this uh, series, we're going to be going through First John. So First John, along with Second and Third John, uh, were epistles or letters that were written by the Apostle John. And he was one of Jesus' disciples. So that's the same guy who wrote uh, the Gospel according to John, also Revelations. Um, and I genuinely find this super exciting because if you're wanting to know how to follow Jesus, who could you possibly learn better from than a guy who is following him for his entire earthly ministry? So that's sort of part of the heart of why I decided to choose this book. So... Everything exists within a context, and John's letter is no different to anything else. So I think it's really important that we start with a bit of the context, a bit of the backstory of what's actually happening right here, if we want this letter to make sense. So let's start with that background. So John's writing these letters to a church that he helped to start in the region of Asia Minor. So that's the west coast of Turkey as we know it today. At, so at the time, there was this issue going around in the church, and it was these heretical teachings, which a heretical teaching is just a teaching that is not correct. It's, it's a teaching that's not in line with what the accepted truth of the Bible is or is what's understood by the entirety of the church. So another word we can use is a false teaching. So these false teachings that were causing trouble There was a specific one that was happening, and that was called Gnosticism, or it later became known as Gnosticism. So Gnosticism gets its name from the ancient Greek word gnosis, which means knowledge, which is going to be important because basically Gnosticism is this belief that people had some sort of special spiritual knowledge that was greater than what they were being told. So God was giving them some sort of revelation that they were learning fresh and new. So rather than taking their information from the known sources in the church they were sort of making up their own ideals and their own thoughts on things and usually they were radically wrong. Um, One of the major so it is a blanket term and it's pretty much anyone who's receiving that special knowledge but the specific belief that these Gnostics had was that Jesus was never physically incarnated. So they thought that Jesus never had a flesh and blood body. So if you saw Jesus, you wouldn't actually be able to touch him. He wouldn't actually be able to eat. He was just some sort of spirit or ghostly figure. And it sounds sort of strange to us now, right? Like we all know that that's not true. But the reasons the Gnostics believe this is because they understood that anything physical was evil. It was all part of their culture that was mixing with Christianity. And it created this belief that because the world is imperfect and it's fallen, that anything physical was going to be evil. So they believed our body was evil, you know, this podium would be evil, this mic would be evil, the chairs you're sitting on are evil, all because they're physical things. They're made of matter that you can physically touch. Well, in their view, the only thing that was actually good was things that were spiritual. So... While the spirit of a person was good, the spirit that you have inside them, inside yourself, they believed, was good, your body was evil. So for that reason, they believed that because God is good and God is spiritual, he couldn't have existed in the flesh. He couldn't have actually had a body because he would have been existing existing in something evil. So that's going to be pretty much enough background of what the actual issue is that he's trying to address. So let's get into a little context of our actual verse. So our verse today is John's introduction to the letter. It's the very beginning of the letter. And here in these four short verses, John's going to let us know exactly why he's writing the letter. And it's going to be all about these two absolutely massive subjects. This is so, so important. And he's doing this to both refute the Gnosticism that's in the church and just instruct the believers on how to live their life. So the first subject that he's going to talk about is Christology. So, to explain that simply, uh, Christology is how we understand Christ, our understanding of him. So, it's going to cover both his nature, so, you know, him being both human, fully human, born of a woman, and fully God. Christology is also going to cover his work in his role in salvation and his resurrection. So, that's Christology. And on the other, the other thing that he's going to be talking about, the other big subject that he's going to be talking about is Christian fellowship and living. So that's going to be how we live our lives, both as individuals and as a community, in Christ. So let's keep that in mind as we're going to be going through the series. John will be countering Gnosticism, and he's going to be doing it a lot, and he's going to be doing it by talking about who Jesus Christ really was and how we're supposed to live our life in response to that. Okay, now that I've kind of gone on about the background stuff and we get an understanding of that, let's let's get into our passage. Let's, let's dig into that. And so our first point for today is Jesus was fully God and fully man. So John decides he's just going to jump straight into correcting these misbeliefs. So the Gnostic, um, so in verse one, if we read it, it says, That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, we proclaim this concerning the word of life. So, this Gnostic camp, this group of people, they never actually encountered Jesus because this was slightly later into the church. They well, into the 70s, so Jesus had already was already gone. So they had never actually encountered the real Jesus. So there were just a bunch of people who were bringing their cultural beliefs, their thoughts into Christianity. So, you know, they would come along and they would say, like, you know, all things are physical are evil. You, we know this, you know, our culture tells us so, it's evil. So there's no way that Jesus was a real person because how could that be? He can't be evil. And at this point in time, you can imagine how frustrated John must have been in the situation. You know, here are these guys saying that this guy wasn't real. So he would have had to be like, you know, I saw them with my own two eyes. I literally followed around Jesus for three years straight. We shared meals together. I saw him eat. I saw him eat a lot, really. I knew his mom who gave birth to him. You can't get more real than that. The guy even washed my feet. So regardless of what these Gnostics believed, those who saw him and had a first-hand encounter with him make it clear that Jesus was a very, very real person. He wasn't some sort of spirit. He existed in living, breathing, flesh and blood human. So while John is telling us here in this verse that Jesus was a human, at the same time, he also explains that Jesus was something more, something much, much more than just human. He says here that he was the word of life that existed in the beginning with God. John also refers to Jesus as the eternal life, which was with the Father who appeared to us. So, and John actually says something very, very similar in the beginning of the gospel he authored. So let's take a look at that. That's going to be John 1, 1 through 4. And it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That's that living, the Word of life. He was with God in the beginning. Through Him, all things that were made, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. Again, that's that eternal life. So here, John is making it absolutely clear that Jesus was not just a human, but God himself. Now, this whole thing may raise a question for some of us, that what is the big deal? Why does it actually matter if Jesus was a human? Like, couldn't he have just been a spirit? Did, did it actually matter at all that he came physically rather than just in the spirit? It's an absolute fair question. I uh, Don't blame me for asking it. And the, abs- the answer is it absolutely matters. It is so important. First of all, the incarnation of Jesus when he came in the flesh in a human body, that was when the literal God of the universe decided to come down and anchor himself in history. And he did that so that we could really know him as a person. You know, he he appeared in front of eyewitnesses, who accounts we ha- still have today, we're literally reading those accounts today. And That is massively important that we have these accounts because most other religions, you will never see an account like that where they physically encounter the real God, thousands of people all at the same time. But as important as that is that we have an eyewitness of God, that's not even the most important reason. See, the primary reason that Jesus came to earth as a man was because we had a problem with sin there needed to be a way for God to deal with that sin that we had. Because God is just, he couldn't just let the sin go unpunished. So that means that someone had to pay the punishment for sin. So what we as humans needed was a representative. Now, if you want a representative to take on all the sins of the humans, they're going to have to be human themselves jesus couldn't have represented for us if he was some sort of spirit and he wasn't fully man i mean if he was a spirit he wouldn't have been able to die for us at all you can't kill a spirit you can't even touch it so what jesus did was he descended and became a man at the same time just because he descended and became a man he never actually stopped being god because he needed to be fully god because no human could be sinless no human was sinless before jesus and no human's ever been since so to be that clean slate that takes on the sins of the world and die in our place he had to be as pure and perfect as god if jesus had to deal with his own sin if he had his own issues then he would have had to look after that first he would have had to pay that debt first before he could possibly pay ours so there is no doubt that Jesus was a real person. He was fully man and fully God, who really died on the cross for us and was raised to life again. I mean, we even have the first and second-hand evidence written for us right here in the Bible. People like John proclaimed what they had seen. They had touched him. They knew that he was a real man who died for our sins and was raised again. So that leaves us as Christians or people with a simple choice. It's to believe these first-hand encounters, to be truth and follow Christ, or to not do that. There's no other choices. It's only these two. You can't change the facts about what happened. You can't say that Jesus was anything more or less than what he was, because he was who he was. And this is going to lead us to our second point for today. It's that Fellowship starts with Jesus, and it's all about him. In verse 3, it says, We proclaim to you that we have seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us and our fellowship with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. There's a very specific reason that John first decided to correct the church on the their beliefs on Jesus, and that's because of fellowship. You know, fellowship couldn't happen if they were deciding, didn't know who Jesus properly was. Which we have to question why, why is that? Why, why do, do we need to know who Jesus properly is? And that comes from that answer is in fellowship. That, that answer is in what the Greek word for fellowship is here. <sighs> Sorry. So, the the Greek word that John decides to use is koinonia. Koinonia can either be used to describe a shared labor or work, so that would be like two people plowing a field together, or it could be a common enjoyment of an experience. So that's like two people, you know, watching a movie or doing something fun together. What this common experience in Christian thought is, though, is it's not you know it's not us sharing food. And it's not us doing work together. It's it's talking about a very specific shared experience that we all hold as Christians. And that's the common shared experience of Jesus Christ. And for you to have that shared experience, you really have to be in agreement with who Jesus really was. Like, if you're walking down the street with a friend and you know they say they saw a green Lamborghini and you saw a yellow Volkswagen, then you're clearly not in agreement. You're not going to be able to actually say that you saw the same thing. And it's the same here. If we're not fully in agreement with who Jesus is, then fellowship can't start. So in John's time, that agreement, that understanding of who Jesus was, came from the apostles directly, what they said about him. And in our time, that comes from the written word of the Bible. So in order for fellowship to start, we really do need to know exactly who Jesus was. We need to know the truth of Jesus. But what does it actually look like then? What, what does this fellowship look like between two believers? That's going to be when Christians come together to build each other and encourage each other in Christ and urge each other to grow more deeply in, in him that can be you know coming together for prayer or you know talking about how he's working in your life and you know the things that are changing what you learn about him all of these things there's so much and there's so much more than what I've mentioned but the amazing thing is we also learn here that though that's fantastic and that's a good thing fellowship is much more than just a horizontal thing it's not just a thing between two or more christians it's it's actually something that as john tells us here in verse 3 is also with the father and his son jesus christ so if god is a person we can personally involve him in our friend in our fellowship now while i was preparing for this sermon i read the words of uh, a theologian called gary birch and he summed up this idea really well of you know us fellowshipping with God as we're fellowshipping with our believers. And he said, Christian fellowship is triangular. So it's my life in fellowship with Christ. It's your life in fellowship with Christ. And it's my life in fellowship with you. So fellowship doesn't just start with Christ. It doesn't just start with knowing who he is. It also involves him. It involves him very deeply. See, in Matthew eighteen twenty, it says, For where there are two or more, sorry, two or three gathered in my name, there am I with them. When we think of fellowship, we need to, when we spend that time together, we need to include Jesus because he's right there with us. He's actually a part of that fellowship. He wants to be an active member of that. Now, John also tells us what we gain from that fellowship. So not only just how we start the fellowship, but not how we conduct it, but what we gain from it. That's going to lead to our third point, which is Christ-centered fellowship brings joy. See, in verse 4, he writes, we write this to make our joy complete. When we actively put Christ's at the center of our relationships and include them in our daily life. It's such a joyful experience. I've personally been blessed so much because I've had the opportunity to be a CG leader and a co-leader for the last few years. Now, in my opinion, one of the greatest things about being in a CG is that you're in this group to fellowship, that's the whole reason you're in it. And because you're in the group to fellowship, you do so. And I can tell you that some of the most encouraging and joyful times that I've experienced within my life have been just hearing the the way that God is working within the life of the members that, you know, I get to spend my time with and seeing them grow closer to Christ and change to reflect Him more. It's such an exciting moment when you actually get to see that in person. And it's not only in CG groups. It's, It's friendships too. It's any of our relationships here at church that we can see this in. So John's not trying to sell an empty promise. He's not saying, you know, fellowship is going to just bring us joy and nothing else, but, you know, we're going to be joyful from now on because we fellowship once, but rather having a genuine Christ-centered fellowship, one that actually reflects him, one that focuses on him, we're going to experience these moments of joy with Christ and our fellow believers as well as we're going to go through life together, as He touches our lives and changes us to be more like Him when we're actually communing and talking about Him and, you know, praying together. See, fellowship is all about Christ. He's the absolute center of it all. So to have real fellowship, we need to know the real Christ, first of all. But when we have that fellowship... It brings so much joy and encouragement. Now, as we come to the close of our message today, first of all, I'd just like to say to you, if if you feel like your foundation's not quite there yet, if, if you need to know more about Jesus and who he is, if this has sort of raised any questions for you, then don't be shy. Please reach out to me, Pastor Eddie, or one of your leaders, because it's so important to know the genuine truth of who Christ is and we would all be happy to share that with you and help you on your journey to knowing him better that aside church could I challenge you today that we would decide to make all of our friendships and relationships here at church to be ones that are genuinely centered on Christ you know we're, we're all here for a reason So don't be shy to bring up Jesus with your friends. Let's actually start talking about him like he's in the room, like he's a part of the conversation. You know, when was the last time you shared about what Christ is doing in your life? And when was the last time we prayed for each other? For some of us, that was quite recently, which is fantastic. Keep at it. For some of us, it's probably quite a while longer. But could you imagine what the church would be like If we all genuinely wanted to build each other up and see each other grow in Christ, if we actually boldly shared the way that He was shaping us and changing us in life, wouldn't that just be amazing? I mean, we would actually get to see people's lives change. And I guarantee you, it would bring so much joy to us all. So if you do want to experience this Christ fellowship, sorry, if you do want to experience this joy, If you want to experience this fellowship with God and your fellow believers, then you have to make the genuine change. You have to make this decision to start a Christ-centered fellowship. So let's choose to do that today. Let's choose to start making our relationships to be more around Christ. So, church, uh, let's pray. Let's pray that God would help us to change and build our friendships and relationships with Christ. at the center. So that we can truly fellowship with him and them. Let's pray that he would help us to have all these relationships be about him. Let's pray. God you know you know that we struggle to center our lives on you to think about you each and every day so father God wouldn't you first change our hearts to be more after you change our minds to know the truth of who you are and Lord help us to take the bold decision to step out and change our relationships between more like you father God because you deserve the glory you deserve to be worshiped and praised father God and Lord, when we do that, when we come, Lord, you even give us joy. So, Father God, wouldn't you fill our lives with that joy? Wouldn't you fill our lives with this fellowship, Father God? Help us and change and be more like you this day. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen.